From American Public Media, this is A Mind of Their Own, an American Radio Works documentary. I'm Deborah Amos. What does it feel like when you're a child with a mind you can't control? I, I think of like, millions of things like all at once. And I can't concentrate. It's like seeing the world through red sunglasses, red lens sunglasses. That's like the angry side of it. You see like everything like angry. Well, a lot of times you're hyper and you kind of act stupid. And a lot of people are like, like, oh my God, what's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? Is it a disease? Can you die from it? In the coming hour, a mind of their own, children with bipolar disorder. From American Radio Works. First, this news update. From American Public Media, this is a mind of their own, an American Radio Works documentary. I'm Deborah Amos. My dad walks in the door, I don't know, he's got me this huge present for Valentine's Day. So I'm all happy, I'm all happy, I'm all happy. All of a sudden, I'm pissed off. <laughs> I have no clue why. Then, like, an hour or two later, not even, and I'll be, like, sobbing. Most children can be volatile at some point in their lives with no particular cause for worry. But at some point, irritability, mood swings, and violent tantrums warn of a serious mental illness. A lot of people don't understand that it's not just my attitude, it's something physical that I can't control. More children than ever are being diagnosed with manic depression. It's also known as bipolar disorder. Historically, the illness was thought mainly to plague adults. It's called bipolar disorder because those who have it swing from extreme highs to intense lows, the opposite poles of human mood. Euphoria and creativity give way to lethargy and darkness, even suicidal thoughts. Until about 10 years ago, no one thought children suffered from this illness. But now, it's estimated that up to a half million American children have bipolar illness. The diagnosis is controversial, and relatively few psychologists and psychiatrists treat the condition in young people. So how do parents, teachers, and physicians recognize bipolar disorder in a child? And what should they do? During the next hour, we'll learn how bipolar illness affects the lives of three Massachusetts children and their families. A Mind of Their Own is produced by Karen Brown. M-A-R-L-B-O-R-O. Eleven-year-old Athena Ronaldo beams as she does this practice cheer. As she jumps, her thin body practically ricochets off the walls of the mobile home she shares with her mother in Marlboro, Massachusetts. Let's go, Panthers! Her favorite teen idol is Hillary Duff, and she dreams of becoming a real cheerleader. We'll be doing round-offs and cartwheels, we'll be screaming our lungs out, and like everybody's so happy that they have me on their team because, like, I have so much energy. Oh, yeah! Aaron Reddick is a 17-year-old rocker who lives in a Boston suburb. With my music, people telling me that I should write happy stuff, but that just doesn't work for me. The stuff that comes out of my mind is just like, you know, all sorts of negativity. Fittingly, Aaron's favorite color is black. She wears thick, dark eyeliner, tight jeans, and clunky silver pentacles around her neck. She's perfected a sarcastic stare 
and when she wants to get away from her family, she writes songs in her basement studio. This one already has a name. It's called Go to Hell. This is uh, Mr. Stick. It's kind of like a stick figure with that. Uh, Eric Ranke is a 16-year-old who likes to crack up his friends with his South Park-style cartoons. And there's a beer sitting on a table, and he's like, all right, still cold. Eric usually wears baggy clothes and a backwards baseball cap as he lounges around his western Massachusetts home. He has visions of becoming a late-night comedian, like his hero, Conan O'Brien. Well, basically... Well, you should know, it's like, I have no problem with making a complete ass out of myself. You could easily picture these three kids at a comedy club, rock concert, or halftime show. But for Eric, Aaron, and Athena, growing up has not gone according to plan. Athena was kicked out of her after-school cheerleading program for getting into fights. Aaron has threatened her mother with a knife and was arrested for public drunkenness. Eric cursed out his middle school principal and still holds the record for detentions. All three have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Well, I think bipolar illness is hard for anyone at any age. But particularly if you're young and your brain hasn't fully developed and you haven't had a chance to develop the kind of friendships and relationships that you need for support. Dr. Kay Jamison is a professor of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University. In her book, The Unquiet Mind, she writes about her own experiences with manic depression, which took hold when she was a teenager. You're at a time of life when everyone around you seems to be very healthy, and all of a sudden you have an illness that affects your thinking, your energy, your ability to, to you know, walk, talk. And so it's, it's just a level of pain and suffering that I think is unimaginable unless you've actually been there. There'd be times that I'd feel like dead, or there'd be times that I'd feel like on top of the world, but I wondered why, like, I was so different from the other kids why I couldn't make friends, why I had decided to, you know, make myself dress different, listen to different music, why all this stuff was the way it was. But when does being different qualify as being mentally ill? We look for evidence that their moods have really had a negative impact on their ability to function in life. And that's very different, I think, than being a, a moody teenager. Dr. David Miklowitz is a professor of psychiatry at the University of Colorado and author of the Bipolar Survival Guide. For example, it's not unusual for young kids to pretend to be superheroes when they play together. Uh, at what point does that become a grandiose delusion? You know, when the kid gets up on a roof and tries to jump off because they think they can fly. But it's not always so clear-cut. And in the cases of Eric, Athena, and Aaron, the early signs only became clear in hindsight. Well, when I was younger, I would hurt people. I might, like, jump on them, or I might pull them hair, or slap them, or something. There's this one time where I was sitting next to my friend, and for no reason, the principal of our school was like, no, you two move, and I was in a really depressed time. So I just said, I effing hate you. I remember bits and pieces being like suicidal at ages that no other kids were. I remember listening to stuff like Nirvana when I was a little kid, when all the other kids were listening to like pop music and stuff. I don't like that music, never have, never will. She was seven pounds, nine ounces. She was born the day before her due date. 
and that was the nicest thing she's ever done for me. Aaron's mom, Sherry Reddick, remembers the trouble beginning about the time Aaron's younger brother was born. Aaron was three. She just did not want a sibling. And along with the kicking and hitting and screaming because this new sibling was brought into the house, during his bris, she tried jumping out a window. But her rages would last for hours. She looked like a crazy, a wild person. And then as soon as she was finished, she was as calm as could be, like nothing happened. I had the daycare center that we were in at the time asked me to remove her because of her behavior. Other parents were starting to show concern about the safety of their children. She would go into a tantrum and she would run out of the room and attempt to get out of the building. Athena's mom, Mary Ronaldo, has been dealing with Athena's unpredictable outbursts from the terrible twos until today. Even during my brief visit to their home, one moment she was doing handstands on the floor, the next she was crumpled in a corner and asking sternly when I planned to leave. You know what, if, you're ch- if you don't feel like chatting anymore, you can go off. Um, well, she said I'm getting a little bit mad because my mom's doing all the talking and she won't shut her mouth. True. I'll smack you if you don't shut your mouth. I can remember stopping in the middle of the supermarket with a full cart of food, and Eric was just beyond control. He was screaming his head off. And I just picked him up out of the cart, left the food cart right in the middle of the market, and drove home. There was nothing I could do to stop him from crying. Connie Ranke adopted Eric days after his birth. The tantrums began a few years later and got progressively worse. Today, they're much less common, but they still happen. Just last week, they argued over whether Eric could drive in a snowstorm. There was some door slamming, wasn't there? I did throw a trash can. Yeah, the plastic one that you broke, you mean? I didn't break it. When it hit the wall, the wall broke it. The wall. Connie now attributes that sort of behavior, mostly, to Eric's bipolar disorder. But it took years before she, or the other moms, realized the tantrums, the hitting, the running away were clinical red flags. One of the things that's so insidious about having a child with bipolar disorder is that their symptoms don't look like illness. You get a kid who's acting out in class or who is always getting into accidents. That doesn't look like illness to anybody. Um, It didn't look like illness to us. My friend today, I I told her that I had bipolar, and she kind of backed off away, and she's she's like, oh, my God, is it contagious? And I said, no. I've had friends who have been diagnosed and refused to believe it. And then there's parents who just say, oh yeah, it doesn't exist. It's just them acting out. You know, they need to learn to control their temper. Kids with bipolar gotta know that they're not that different. They have bigger mood swings than other people. So there's probably kids who don't have bipolar that are a lot weirder than you are. An estimated one in five children has a diagnosable mental illness, but many go untreated. That's not surprising if you consider the roots of child psychiatry. Freud and his followers believed children were born with a clean mental slate and that only damage during childhood could lead to psychological problems later in life. In the 1970s, doctors began to diagnose children with depression, but until the early 90s, calling children bipolar was only for the true renegades of psychiatry. 
Even today, childhood bipolar disorder isn't mentioned in the standard manual of psychiatry. I regard it as a public health crisis. It's, a, it's an epidemic, if you will. Martha Hellander is research director for the Child and Adolescent Bipolar Foundation. If this many kids, you know, had some other strange illness that was causing them to not be able to go to school and want to kill themselves and so on, you know, there would be attention focused on it. Hellander's group advocates for better research, treatment, and awareness about the disorder. What we hear is a long story of going from one doctor to another, begging for help, and being told, it's your fault, you're not disciplining enough, you're too strict, you're too lenient. And the last place that doctors have wanted to go is to say, is there something going on in this child's brain from within that's causing this behavior that we see? That's a critical distinction, says Dr. David Miklowitz. For one, the causes are believed to be genetic, and researchers think the bipolar brain works differently. I would say that there are certain chemical imbalances in the brain and certain structures in the brain that may be either overactive or underactive. And the, the point, I think, is, is that because of the biology of this condition, not all of the behavior is controllable by the person. In adults, bipolar disorder has distinct periods of highs and lows. Each extreme can last days, weeks, or months. In children, moods can flip-flop several times a day or even hour. And in some cases, Miklowitz says they're simultaneous. These kids often have what we call mixed disorders, which means you're manic and depressive at the same time. If you could imagine having your thoughts race, uh, feeling the sped up feeling like you can't sleep and, and don't want to sleep, but at the same time feeling suicidal, feeling negative, feeling hopeless about the future. But if the symptoms in children are distinct from adults, is it truly bipolar disorder? Bipolar disorder is the flavor of the month in uh, diagnosis of children. Dr. Rachel Klein is a professor of psychiatry at New York University. The children who are described as bipolar are reported to have chronic mania. They're always irritable, impulsive, difficult, etc. And as a result, people say it's different in children, it's chronic. Then by definition, we're not talking about the same disorder. The problem is across the country, different criteria are being used. Dr. David Miklowitz says the symptoms of bipolar illness often look like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. What's one person's ADHD kid is someone else's bipolar kid, and as a result, there's a lot of confusion and disagreement. I'm Deborah Amos. You're listening to A Mind of Their Own from American Radio Works. Just ahead, as the professionals debate the prevalence of bipolar disorder in children, anguished parents are wondering what is going on. There have been times that he has been almost catatonic with depression, where we'll sit by his bedside and just stroke his, his back because he won't face you and, and, um, and just tell him over and over again that it's going to be all right and that we're going to fix it somehow. And it's just, it's excruciating. Our program continues in just a moment from American Public Media. From American Public Media, this is a mind of their own an American Radio Works documentary about children and bipolar disorder. I'm Deborah Amos. It's a relatively new diagnosis in children, and the professionals still can't agree whether it really exists or how many kids might have it. 
parents of children with bipolar illness are looking for answers and not always getting the ones they want. Our story is produced by Karen Brown. I was told that she was very sensitive to others. She was sensitive to stimuli and what people say. Great diagnosis. That, that was a big help. The parents of Aaron, Eric, and Athena say at first they felt comforted by doctors and teachers who assured them their kids would grow out of their volatile behavior. This is all normal stuff. Relax. You know, you're older parents with an only child. You're highly educated. You're being overprotective. You know, sometimes the message felt like get a life. But Connie Ranke, Eric's mom, became convinced it was more than that. He was doing stuff like stabbing himself in the stomach with whatever, you know, pencils in school and saying to the nurse, I just want to die. I mean, clearly he was suicidal. She was in first grade. She didn't want to go to school. She said she was going to kill herself if I sent her to school. So she ended up in the hospital. The doctor at that point diagnosed her the ADHD and the anxiety disorders. I mean, I was not looking necessarily for a diagnosis, but when we got a diagnosis, we felt like at least maybe now we know what to treat. So on one hand, it was a little bit of a relief, and then you realize my, my daughter's got a mental illness. And, you know, that kind of hits you in the gut. One of the first doctors to identify bipolar in children was Harvard-based psychiatrist Linda Zamville. I think people just kind of thought I was a funny doctor. In the early 1980s, Zamville decided that many kids previously thought to have attention deficit disorder, substance abuse problems, or unusually irritable behavior should be diagnosed as bipolar instead. This raised some eyebrows among her peers. People feel that it's like a curse and that children are in the midst of their development and it's unfair to label them, to give them a diagnosis like this. And I feel on the contrary that it's better to say this is what this is and identify that this is an extremely high risk population. These are the kids who hurt themselves, they drive fast, they drink, they drug, they get pregnant, wind up in Department of Social Services and lockups. Zamville's approach is much more common now. In fact, some say the pendulum is swinging the other way, and doctors should be careful not to overdiagnose bipolar illness. That's why Dr. Barbara Geller, a child psychiatrist at Washington University in St. Louis, is developing a clinical checklist for the adult and childhood versions. Adults who are depressed stop enjoying life. A housewife stops cleaning the house. People don't get good sleep. They feel guilt-ridden. And then they have the other side. They're the life of the party. They start grandiose business schemes. So the question Geller faced was, what's the equivalent of those symptoms in a child? A young child may unexpectedly start having very flirtatious behavior. A young child may not start business schemes, but a young child can very grandiosely go up to the school principal and say, you know, I don't like such and such teacher. You really have to fire them. They act as if it's the day they're going to Disneyland or as if it's Christmas morning, but they act this way every day. I know I need to be on medication, whatever. I'll go once a month or once every two months to the frickin' psychiatrist. 
Like, um, one of the pills I was so shaky on. Oh my god, I'm like, Ugh. Thanks to the pills I'm taking, I've become really good at picking out when I'm uh, feeling depressed or feeling hyper, so I can just say, okay, I'm feeling depressed or hyper, and they can help me out. They'll take me off medication, put me on new stuff, and I'll get violent, and I have bad reactions to medication. I don't even remember all the stuff I've tried, but a lot of it made me very psychotic. Once a family gets a diagnosis of bipolar, even the experts aren't sure what to do about it. Psychiatrist Linda Zamville begins by trying out different mood stabilizers, such as trileptol, lithium, or Seroquel. I, like most doctors, it's sometimes a lot of trial and error, and you have to tell families that from the beginning. The problem is that psychiatric drugs, like most drugs, have never been tested in children for a variety of logistical and ethical reasons. That creates a dilemma. Children have distinct metabolisms and react differently to medication. So kids become pharmaceutical guinea pigs. I'm looking at my 11-year-old child and thinking, I'm going to be putting these chemicals into my kid's system. Eric's mom, Connie Ranke. I mean, part of it, I think, was we were still reeling from the diagnosis. But part of it was just to try the most benign approach possible, you know, to, to tamper as little as possible with this young, growing body. Psychiatrist Dimitri Papalos, author of The Bipolar Child, says parents like Connie Ranke should be cautious. The FDA has warned that some antidepressants can lead to suicidal tendencies in youth. Dr. Papalos says children who are prone to mania are especially vulnerable. Unfortunately uh, for many of these kids, uh, when you put a child on stimulants or on antidepressants, you can make the course of the illness worse. For the first time, the National Institutes of Health are sponsoring a drug trial to treat bipolar disorder in children, focusing on antipsychotic medications. Dr. Barbara Geller is lead researcher. We're seeing a child who can't function in any sphere of life. Many of them have written notes of how they will kill themselves of where they want to be buried. So that you are weighing these factors, what the child looks like, against the risks of the medication. Geller is hoping to find a regimen that could actually stop the illness from progressing. Meanwhile, Dr. David Miklowitz of the University of Colorado is one of the few researchers looking at the benefits of talk therapy. When I started in this field uh, doing work with bipolar disorder in the early 80s, it was all medications, and that's all anybody talked about. I think the zeitgeist is changing, and psychiatrists are realizing that this is a difficult illness to cope with and that uh, the medications are going to be more effective if delivered in combination with therapy. Miklowitz uses a method he calls family psychoeducation. He first tries to educate families about the disorder, then help them communicate calmly with each other, solving problems without moods escalating. Where really the view in traditional family therapy is that the disorder reflects a dysfunctional family. And we don't believe that about bipolar disorder. This is a biologically based illness, and the family is doing its best to cope. And our job, as we see it, is to help the family find its most effective way to cope. I took a knife out of the drawer. It was like six, seven, maybe eight inches long. And like really sharp, went outside to our wooden deck and just took it, boom, right into the deck big gashes and my mom flipped. I told her, like, 
You told me that if I ever got mad, I'd take a dish and break it on a tree or something. She's like, but I don't want you doing that. Whatever. Don't ruin my house, whatever. Leave me alone. Here's your knife. She'll get like all freaked out over nothing. Like I put the mattress on the floor the other day to go to sleep. Why'd you do that? Yeah, no reason to do that. My parents did a really good job. Like they're always like studying on what medications do what and they've learned all the vocabulary of mania or whatever. They've never done everything right, but they try. I have to give them credit for that. One of the hardest things about loving a child with bipolar disorder is that, quite frankly, they aren't always lovable. I mean, right now, things are quiet in the house. You know, I can let my guard down, and every time that happens, she throws a monkey wrench in and stirs up the waters and... Uh, you know, she lets us know, hey, I'm back. Sherry and Erin Reddick have had a rough couple of years, beyond what you'd expect between a rebellious teenager and her mother. Erin is just back from her second hospital stay in two months. Police took her to a psychiatric unit by force. I had to call the police because she almost hit me. Sherry and Erin, sitting next to each other on a couch, but looking straight ahead, still can't agree on what happened. She knew I wasn't going to hit her. I wasn't even facing her when I raised my hand, and I wasn't even raising my hand to her. I was picking up a phone and throwing it. When you have a kid who's very, being very nasty to you and has threatened you physically and is making it difficult for you to parent your other kids and embarrassing you in public, yeah, eventually parents are going to say feel like they don't like the kid anymore. Psychiatrist David Miklowitz. When they try to set limits on a kid who's really raging, it seems to make things worse. And so they end up feeling like they're walking on eggshells to not provoke the kid. Sherry Reddick has tried to give Erin space to express herself, including physical space. We go up the steep stairs of this earth-toned split-level house, come to a wall of beads, and enter an arresting bedroom. Every inch of Erin's wall is full of magazine pictures and comics, all of them of violence. There are skulls on her wall. There's people with skin being torn off on her walls. Her pop idol is Kurt Cobain. He killed himself. You know, that's someone to have as an idol. Cobain was the Nirvana lead singer who shot himself in 1994. Aaron's room is full of photos of his anguished face screaming into a microphone. His song lyrics are scrawled on Aaron's walls. In the large type, it says, pain, 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 you know you're right, you know you're right. I guess that's the chorus. All his music speaks to what I feel. Among the band posters, she's hung a few dark atmospheric paintings, including a self-portrait. One eye's yellow and orange and red, and the other eye's blue and green and black, and it's like two different moods. 
Erin spends most of her afternoons in this room. That's her parents' rule following a year-long downward spiral. They discovered she was abusing drugs and alcohol and not taking her psychiatric medication. She was arrested for being drunk and disorderly and then raped by a boy she knew. Erin says she stopped the drugs and drinking, but things continued to deteriorate. Recently, I've just been really anxious and really depressed and unable to sit still and focus and just do everyday stuff. So I decided I needed to intervene in my life, my own life, and check myself into a hospital. She was placed in an adult psychiatric unit with elderly dementia patients and traumatized veterans. Sherry says it was frightening for Erin, now old enough to be admitted as an adult, but still a child in so many ways. You know, with all this violence, you can look around and, and still see teddy bears, dolls, that she won't get rid of. There's still a little piece of her inside, I think, that wants to be a little girl. I think, in a way, she missed being a little girl. She had so much turmoil in her that she had to deal with it like an adult. Tea, hot chocolate. We have choices? We have every kind in the world. The fact that Eric and Connie Ranke can sit politely in their kitchen and offer refreshments is a sign they're past the worst of Eric's illness. At least Connie hopes so. I can't tell you for how many years we didn't go out, didn't invite people over. Somebody from work invited us to um, Easter dinner, which was a really lovely thing. Well, we got up that day and Eric was a mess. And I had to call these people, and I didn't know them very well, so I wasn't very comfortable to say, well, my son is bipolar and he's you know, severely depressed today, so we won't be coming. I just had to call and say, I'm sorry we can't come. People don't invite you anymore. Now Eric has sleepovers with friends. Even holidays with extended family have become bearable. But Connie still takes nothing for granted. Eric recently felt well enough to start cutting back on his lithium, and when he did, Connie noticed some backsliding. Something was going on, and he was trying to get out of the house, and I was trying to get him to, I don't know, take his pills or do something, you know, very normal in his morning routine, and he was not happy. And he all of a sudden took everything that he had in his arms, his books and his lunch, and, like, flung them down on the floor and, and stomped on them. I don't really remember what happened. When those things happen, I just kind of block them out of my head and just let them go. He doesn't remember any of the stuff from when he was little. It's kind of like um, an epileptic seizure. But I also think that, to some extent, it is partially a coping mechanism. He needs to be able to move on and, and get back to his level self. It's not uncommon for parents of bipolar children to have a mental illness themselves. Athena's mom, Mary, also has bipolar disorder, which she says helps her understand Athena but it doesn't necessarily help her raise Athena. If our moods are opposite, then we'll fight. If we're both in the wrong mood at the same time, we can clash there too. If we're both in a mania and we got energy and someplace to go, something to do, where we get along fabulous. It's a fantastic day. In their trailer, piles of papers, empty soda bottles, pizza boxes, and clothing, take up almost every inch of floor space. Dirty dishes and loose cereal are scattered through the rooms. I've been trying to find my summer clothes, so I have the boxes all sitting underneath other boxes here. Athena's toys, 
Is that breakfast? Yeah, it looks like the box got kicked off the end of the bed or knocked off by the cats, one or the other. Amid this clutter, they have a snake, a hamster, two parakeets, and four cats. These days, Athena plays more with her pets than with other kids. Her mood swings have turned her into a social outcast. She was invited to a birthday party by a friend. This girl then invited some other kids from the class. Those kids said they wouldn't go if Athena went. So she uninvited Athena. Hi, Sarah. My room. Where's mom? Athena has one friend who stuck by her, Sarah Grunelli. She's visiting this afternoon and plops down on Athena's bed. Oh my god, Athena. I hate this song. I know. Sarah and Athena met when their moms were in a support group for difficult toddlers. While Sarah grew out of that phase, Athena did not. No, you were on the computer, and like, you were online, and, I, and like, I'm like, Sarah, I can't go on, and you're like, yeah, in a minute, in a minute. Even in the company of her only friend, Athena can't always restrain herself. And, um, like, I just shoved her so hard, and she went right into the wall. I don't know, I just smacked against the wall. It hurt for a few seconds, but after that, it was fine. Sarah says she knows Athena can't always control her behavior, and mostly they get along fine, like this afternoon when they decide to sell chocolate bars to raise money for a local charity. They walk door to door through the rows of mobile homes in Athena's neighborhood. Um, hi. Hi. This, um, we're selling candy bars. They're a dollar a piece. They're from, a make, they're from the Make-A-Wish Foundation. But Athena has few after-school options. She was kicked out of the local Boys and Girls Club and even her beloved cheerleading squad for fighting with kids and coaches. Her mother, Mary, who doesn't work, says she can't afford private after-school programs. So she's really not doing anything but coming home after school. If she happens to have a friend that particular day, she might have someone come over for a little while. But friendships are up and down and off and on for her from day to day. Here's your caramel. Thank you very much. And have a good day. You too. I'm Deborah Amos. You're listening to A Mind of Their Own, Children with Bipolar Disorder. To see pictures of the families profiled in this program or to tell us your story, visit AmericanRadioWorks.org. You'll also find information on ordering a CD or an MP3 of this program. That's at AmericanRadioWorks.org. Major funding for American Radio Works comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Additional support for a mind of their own was provided by the Van American Foundation and the American Psychiatric Foundation. Our program continues in just a moment from American Public Media. This is an American Radio Works documentary, A Mind of Their Own, Children with Bipolar Disorder. From American Public Media, I'm Deborah Amos. Public schools are increasingly called upon to help manage a child's mental illness, and kids with bipolar disorder present unique challenges. Rapid mood swings can make it difficult for kids to learn. Their unpredictable behavior can turn teachers into adversaries. Karen Brown reports that as the number of diagnoses climbs, schools are often at a loss as to how to respond. Because I got in trouble like, more than like 
anyone in the school, like during middle school, it kind of gave me a troublemaker reputation. My teachers were telling me, Aaron, you're going like zero to 60, you need to calm down and think before you act, and it was just impossible for me. You know, I'm like, well, let's see how you feel when your medications are being switched and if you were bipolar. One of my teachers that I hate is like, well, you need to calm down, you need to calm down. Do you want a color? And I'm like, I don't need a color. Um, then she sent me to the principal's office. And I got all mad at him, started yelling and swearing at him. And he just locked me up in a room and wouldn't let me out. It got to the point where I, I was fighting with some of the kids in the school. They were like, okay, we can't help this girl. Wilbraham Middle School is where two years ago, Eric Ranke won the dubious distinction of third most detentions of all time. Today, he considers that a badge of honor, but his mother, Connie, doesn't remember that period so fondly. The principal didn't buy any of this stuff about, you know, his illness. Eric got labeled in his head, the principal's head, from day one as a brat. And everything that my husband had tried to do, he just saw as, you know, overindulgence. Eric's social studies, sixth grade social studies teacher said to me in a meeting, she said, I just have to say, I think he has you completely snowed. He's manipulating you. He's fine. It turns out that not only was he not fine, he was actively hallucinating in her class. For Erin Reddick, school had always represented one more wall of people who didn't understand her. Her mother, Sherry, could barely get her out of the house in the morning. She was paranoid. She was stressed. She wasn't learning anymore at all. In seventh grade, I wrote that I wanted her tested, but they said she was very bright and this was not affecting her education. Sherry, Connie, and Mary each found out, through different avenues, that federal disability law gives their children some rights. They asked their schools to provide accommodations to help their children learn, anything from daily counseling sessions to longer assignment deadlines. But schools have discretion in applying the law, and with all three children, the administrators at first balked. Tom Philpot directs special education for Eric Ranke's home district. When parents come in and ask for certain considerations, it can be misinterpreted, misinterpreted that uh, the parents are asking for a coddling, or and many times we, we use the term enabling. Basically, uh, schools have done an abysmal job addressing the needs of children with emotional and behavioral disorders. Tammy Seltzer is an attorney with the Bazelon Center for Mental Health Law in Washington, D.C., and author of a 2003 report on how schools cope with mentally ill children. National studies have shown that anywhere from 5 to 9 percent of all children have a serious emotional behavioral problem, but schools identify less than 1 percent of those children. Schools tend to view children with behavioral problems as problem children rather than children who have a condition that needs special attention. Schools admit they were caught off guard by the number of children coming in with a bipolar diagnosis. William Fole is president-elect of the National Association of School Psychologists. Before it was attention deficit. That was the diagnosis that was 
very popular, you know, five to 15 years ago. And the schools finally did adjust and accommodate to that. And I think it's going to take the same period of time for schools to adjust and accommodate to this particular diagnosis. But what we really have to know is how many kids does this actually involve? And I think the jury's still out on that. Following several appeals, Eric now sees an academic counselor several times a week, and his parents have taught his teachers to recognize Eric's oncoming mood shifts. They don't think of me as being a bad kid. They think of me as just going through a manic time. And last year, Eric made the honor roll for the first time. What happened? Tell me the whole story. Things are not going as well at school for Athena. I walked in the bus. Athena bounced through the door of her trailer this afternoon, looking upset. Walked by me up the aisle and punched me in the nose. Her mother, Mary, pulls out a notebook and pen. You got on the bus. This boy, Jimmy, called you a child molester? Yeah, no, Justin, not Jimmy. Mary says she knows Athena's version of her bad encounters can be suspect, but she feels school administrators never give Athena the benefit of the doubt. The other kids tease, harass, taunt, call her names do all kinds of stuff to her, and nothing's been done about it. So they figured out easily, we can harass Athena, and if we keep after her and keep after her and keep I after her, she'll explode, and then she'll get in trouble. Athena and Mary are especially on edge following a recent incident in the school cafeteria. As Athena tells it, a boy kicked her under the table, she went to kick him back, but she kicked the wrong boy, and hard. The upshot is, Athena is facing assault charges in juvenile court. She could end up in a disciplinary program, or worse, a juvenile lockdown. Meanwhile, Mary has been called by the school's truancy officer on another problem and could be charged with neglect. That's because Athena doesn't always make it to school and often shows up late. All I can do is explain to him that, yeah, I have a hard time getting her up in the morning. And I was telling him how she's been very upset, very depressed, particularly since these incidents have happened. And I do my best to get her up in the morning. I yell, scream, rant, rave, kick the bed. I mean, I can't physically drag her across the room. Athena could soon be moved out of her regular school, just as Aaron Reddick was four years ago. What is that from? This kid on me. No, he loves being mean shirt. today. Erin's family lobbied to get her placed in the Merrimack Collaborative School, a public therapeutic program about half an hour from their home in suburban Boston. Principal Emma Weiss. I have a range of kids, kids involved with the Department of Mental Health, kids involved with Department of Youth Services or with the court systems. Weiss says about half her students are diagnosed with bipolar illness, but she's not convinced they all have it. However, Erin Reddick, she says, is a clear-cut case. When she is on medication, Erin is able to have conversations with you, participate in our community meetings, and add a lot of good insight, remain calm if somebody says something to her that may not be the nicest thing in the world. When Erin goes off of her medication, she can be laughing one minute, sobbing the next minute, the, the minute after that, screaming because she's so angry over something as small as he looked at me the wrong way. The ratio at the Merrimack School is five students to one or two staff, so it's expensive. A school district can pay up to $29,000 to send one child here, compared to four or 5000 in the regular public school. 
But that ratio typically means staff members are more attuned to each student's mood swings. If it's a student who we know well and we start seeing the true signs that they're either heading into a manic phase or they're getting a little depressed, we would be notifying parents having regular contact with therapists and psychiatrists. Of course, even special schools have limits. Before Erin's last hospital stay, she had a tantrum at her school that ended in her slamming a glass door and kicking a trash can. When Erin found out she was almost suspended for that, she told her mom she was furious. As a matter of fact, tomorrow I'm going to go in and talk to Emma about that. Yeah, well, I strongly suggest that you... You approach it in a very gentle manner or not approach it at all and let me take care of it. And the fact is that the only thing that will happen if you confront her is you'll get suspended again. I have 50 cents if you wanted me to buy you a soda, I would have. Erin's teachers say she's learning to control her behavior, especially during her weekly community service, where she tutors severely autistic children. Teacher Betsy Lytle is her advisor. Erin has worked really hard to establish some kind of relationships, friendships here at the school. This is a kid that came to us from the middle school that used to kick holes in the wall and has never kicked anything here. <laughs> this is a kid that was very isolated and ostracized from a good share of the population. So there was many trust issues for her to even stick her neck out a little bit to form relationships. And as any good bipolar will do, it's either all or nothing. In many ways, bipolar illness is a solitary struggle. Children and the people who love them have to face up to demons that others never even know about. But families say society can help in a few concrete ways. For one, offer children with bipolar disorder the same sympathy and respect as kids with cancer or diabetes. Fund special education so that schools can give these volatile children a better place to learn push for more scientific research on childhood bipolar disorder to help doctors, teachers, and parents identify the illness early and accurately. And remember that a bipolar diagnosis does not represent the end of hope. These children are delightful, charming, wonderful senses of humor. So I think we should look at the positive as well as what can be the hugely negative for these children. Janice Papalos is co-author of The Bipolar Child. I don't know how these children get up and face a day. They don't know how the day is going to go. They don't know what, what the next 20 minutes is going to bring for them, nor do the parents. But with proper diagnosis and treatment, um, they have every chance for a really good life. In the meantime, Athena, Eric, and Aaron are just focused on growing up. When you have bipolar, life is like one huge adventure. It's like, all right, what's going to happen today? Yeah. <laughs> We are the Panthers. We're mighty and we're brave. We'll kick your butt in a game any day. I like making people laugh. So if I can uh, do that for a living, get paid for that, then that would be wonderful. My hero, Conan O'Brien, has bipolar disorder. I can't believe this 50 Cent has written a children's book. <laughs> 50 Cent, yeah, it's really a sweet story. It's called Cubby the Stray Bullet Finds a Home. I love him. He's the coolest guy in the world. And if the coolest guy in the world has bipolar disorder, then I have it too, so it's cool.
I see bipolar as like a gift and a curse. It's like, you know, you're given this horrible burden of, you know, living with this life altering, you know, disorder. But on the other hand, it gives you all this creativity and all different views of like the world, you know, there's so many great people who in history who were bipolar or, and it just gives you something that other people don't have. For now, Erin is learning to play more Nirvana tunes on guitar. She's thinking about going to college. Some days she's not sure she could handle it. Other days she figures, why not? Maybe there she'll get answers to questions she's had her whole life. I want to go into special ed teaching, but then after that, like go to school to do like psychological research, you know, learn the way, why I'm the way I am and why, you know, the kids I work with are the way they are and maybe help some people and just so interesting. And you know, the brain is just so mysterious. Nobody really knows how it works. Thousands of parents today are holding out for new research on such questions as can kids as young as preschoolers be diagnosed with bipolar illness and treated? Is there a drug that can change their brain chemistry back to normal before they miss out on critical developmental milestones? And how can families learn to control manic outbursts and deep depressions? With luck, say the parents of Aaron, Eric, and Athena, these answers will come out in time to put their own children on a healthy and stable path to adulthood. For American Radio Works, I'm Karen Brown. A Mind of Their Own is produced for American Radio Works by Karen Brown with WFCR in Amherst and the University of Massachusetts. It was edited by Mary Beth Kirshner. Senior producer, Sasha Aslanian. Project manager, Misha Quill. Mixing by Scott Liebers. Web production by Ocean Kalin. Production assistance from Ellen Gettler. Thanks also to John Dankowski of WNPR. The executive editor of American Radio Works is Stephen Smith. The executive producer is Bill Busenberg. I'm Deborah Amos. To see photos of Aaron, Eric, and Athena, to tell us your story, and to listen to this program again, visit AmericanRadioWorks.org. There you can sign up for our email newsletter and listen to all of our previous documentaries. That's at AmericanRadioWorks.org. Major funding for American Radio Works comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Additional support for A Mind of Their Own was provided by the Van American Foundation, the American Psychiatric Foundation, and the Icarus Foundation. American Radio Works is the documentary unit of American Public Media. American Public Media.